0: Hello, thanks for listening to our Fusion Sermon podcast. Fusion is a worshiping community within Hardaway Ministries. We gather at 1030 a.m. in the Red Brick Church building on the Hardaway campus, on the corner of 160th and Lakewood in Holland, Michigan. We invite you to join us in person when you are able. To learn more about our Fusion community and Hardaway Ministries, please visit hardaway.com. But this morning, we also are stepping into a new sermon series, kind of, but it's kind of really a continuation of our fall series. We started going through this book, Believe. And if you remember in the fall, we considered uh, the first 10 weeks was, what does it mean to think like Jesus? And we studied the, the, not the, but 10 core truths found in scripture. 10 of them. And uh, starting today, we're considering what does it mean to act like Jesus? And what we're going to be doing is studying 10 core practices found in the scriptures. What are, we're going to be looking at what are some of the core practices or in Christian history would, would be called the Christian the spiritual disciplines or rhythms, if you will, that mark the Christian journey of spiritual formation. And what we're going to find throughout these next 10 weeks is that these are practices that, that Jesus did. And so Jesus, the Son of God, participated in these and and, and exercised these practices. How much more should we be exercising them as well? Now, one of the ways to think of the spiritual practices or spiritual disciplines is to compare them to uh, training or years of practice that an elite athlete might put in, or or think of uh, an accomplished musician. It requires years of practice and training to become experts at uh, whatever that discipline might be. Uh, This illustration of An athlete is is the illustration that the Apostle Paul draws on in his letter to the Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 9, we read these words Do you not know that in a race, all runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. There's our connect. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last. What is Paul doing here? Paul is comparing our lives to a race with a prize that's found in eternity. But notice the connection to training. There's training involved to run that race. Now, if if my memory serves me correctly, I think there's a a couple big football games coming up. Are there? Today, maybe there's one. I don't know. Tomorrow, is there one? Yeah, let me just say, I was more nervous about that Michigan game than I've ever been about a game that wasn't involved my with my teams. For what it's worth, I really want Michigan to win, okay? Am I gaining some points? Maybe. I don't know. Is that is that what I'm trying to do? Anyway, but you think about that, all these players, like this is the game. For many of these players on the Michigan football team, this is maybe the final game of their career. And they've put in, they've put in years and, and hours of practice and training, and it all has been Leading up to this moment, the practice, the training, the weight training, that was not the end in and of itself. It was a means to a greater end, which was hopefully winning tomorrow night, amen, um, or or playing in that game or or running that race, whatever that is. The training is a means to an end. And similarly, the spiritual practices, we can think of them and the spiritual disciplines as not an end in and of themselves, but a means to a greater end which is life in Christ, expressed in service and love of others. This is going to be kind of our working image for the next 10 weeks of this series. This is the illustration. Spiritual practice is really as, as training for the race of life. This morning, our first spiritual practice or discipline we're going to be looking at is, is worship. Worship. And to help frame this practice, we'll be reading Hebrews 10, verses 19 through 25, which draws heavily on these these parallels found uh, in uh, Jewish understanding and paradigms and practices through this lens of Jesus Christ. So there's going to be some images that are drawing on on Hebrew worship, Israelite worship, uh, through the lens of Jesus Christ. And we'll kind of unpack some of that as we go. But as we hear God speak to us this morning, I invite you, if you're willing and able, uh, to stand as we honor God, as God speaks to us through his word. Hebrews chapter 10, starting at verse 19. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with sincere heart and with full, the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And you may be seated. Let's continue our worship in a time of prayer. God, we we thank you for your word. And we thank you, Holy Spirit, how... Just as you were in the formation of these books of your scriptures to bring them to be our scripture, our canon, our Bible. Lord, you continue to be at work as we read, as we study. And so we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would open our hearts, open our minds, uh, open our spirits to to receive from you a word of, of encouragement. If we need some encouragement, a word of challenge. If, Lord, you need to challenge us this morning. And all of these things, may we receive them in the grace and by the grace of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray all these things. Amen. Amen. I invite you to take just a, a moment uh, quickly this morning, just to close your eyes and just imagine. Imagine a time when, when you experienced worship in, in, a, in a powerful and profound way. where where you experienced the presence of God in in ways maybe that were hard to put to words, yet it was undeniable. You felt a closeness to Jesus Christ in a way that kind of stands out in your memory. Maybe it was when you were younger and you were away at summer camp around a a bonfire with a bunch of young people and counselors. Maybe it was on a, a mission trip in another part of the world where you got away from some of the daily monotony of this life. Maybe it was a worship event or experience that you you went to with a a group, or or maybe it was just when you were out in God's creation by yourself in awe of the wonder and glory of God, or, or maybe it was otherwise during what would be considered just a normal Sunday morning worship. Imagine these moments when we experience the closeness of God In worship. There's something beautiful about that, eh? Now I just invite you to come back into this moment. And let me just share with you the other side of the coin. (laughs) Is that there's these moments in worship where we experience this closeness to God. And yet, there are other times in worship, and and maybe the worship planners feel this a little more, where things don't go according to plan. (laughs) You don't have to imagine those. I don't want to bring you back there necessarily, but I can tell you from almost two two decades in ministry, I've experienced that too, where the experience in worship didn't go according to plan, and and I've experienced that as a leader from baptisms kind of going in a way that I didn't imagine them or benedictions. Yvonne can remember this, where I just told like the words of the benediction just escaped me, and I'm just stumbling through the words. But but one of the one of the moments that that I experienced. Um, that was just an awkward moment, and we can kind of laugh at this. And so I'm just giving you that permission. But it was at a pastor's retreat. And, you know, pastor's retreats are tough because now you're with all these pastors, you know, so you got to do something special. But anyway, I was just a participant at this pastor's retreat, and it was the desire to kind of end that retreat with something powerful, right? And so the the people who were planning, I I think what they were thinking was, let's end this with, with foot washing, Right? But, you know, like when you're thinking about washing people's feet, and again, Jesus demonstrated servant leadership by washing his disciples' feet. There's this humility. There's this beautiful posture in foot washing. It's a beautiful thing. Uh, But I think the planners were kind of like, well, this is the last thing, and it's a lot to take off your shoes, and maybe that can be a little awkward. And so they decided, instead of doing foot washing, we're going to do hand washing. Now, you're like, okay, that makes sense. Like, that's simpler. That's right. But let me just tell you, that's not a good idea. And here's why. When you're washing someone's feet, the roles are very clear and defined. Okay? Right? You know who's washing and who's... When you're washing hands, it's a little ambiguous. And you almost kind of need some time to kind of coordinate with the person. So here I am walking up at the end of this pastor's retreat. His name's Brad. and, And we're walking up to this bowl of water. But there's music, and so we can't really communicate. So we walk up to this bowl of water together and look at each other, and we just kind of dip our hands in the bowl of water and <laughs> wash each other's hands, and then dry them off and go on our way. It was so awkward. Don't do that, okay? Um, now, I share that kind of funny story, uh, maybe as a, like, don't do that idea, but um, Here's the thing sometimes as one who who who's part of planning a time of worship and and just to share like Sarah and I, we meet every week and we talk throughout the week and and we're very intentional about the services that we plan as far as coordinating the songs with this message and and, and, and we want to make sure that all of these services that we that we do on on Sunday mornings and during the holidays we, we want them to be meaningful and impactful, but sometimes they just They don't go according to plan. And and, and that is, and for us, for those who plan worship and and feel that weight and the responsibility, uh, it's where we regularly need to remind ourselves that that crafting and delivering the perfect service, whether it's the music or the sermon or the prayers, is not ultimately the end, the the goal, the point, right? Right? The perfect Sunday experience is is not ultimately the point, but rather the worship service is more like a pathway that leads us to the ultimate point, which is Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen? amen? Sunday worship allows for us and creates space for us, as we're going to talk about this morning, to connect with God. To remember what we share and confess and believe, and also to live in community. Now, we're gonna expand on those three things in a moment, but but first we're gonna begin walking through our text. And the text actually begins with the reason we can approach God with confidence. And so let's talk about our confidence that we have in Jesus Christ. Hebrews 10, verse 19, opens with these words. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God. What is the author of of Hebrews doing? Again, the author of Hebrews is drawing on these parallels uh, from Israelite worship, drawing on parallels of the sacrificial system in ancient Israel. And in that system, right, animals were sacrificed as a a symbol and reminder of the people's sins and the people's need for God's forgiveness. Uh, If you go earlier in chapter 10, the author of Hebrews in verse 4 will say that the blood of animals can't take away sins, like they can't do that. But God has the power to remove sin from people. And what we find in Jesus Christ is that through Christ's sacrificial death on the cross, our sins are forgiven. And, and we're cleansed by the blood of the Lamb, as we sang about this morning. And now, what that means is that we can enter the holy place. That's the language here in Hebrews 10. That's referring to the most holy place, the innermost room in the temple, where the Ark of the Covenant, where the presence of God dwelt, right? And, and that was a space that only the high priest could enter once a year, but now through Jesus Christ's sacrifice, and there was a curtain that separated. So Jesus' body is a curtain. So we, we are able to enter with confidence the, the presence of God. It's remarkable. And this is the good news of what Jesus Christ has accomplished. We can, we can have access to God through Jesus Christ, who's the sacrificial lamb. And then there's this reference to the great priest. The priest would act as intermediaries, like, like right? Intermediators, um, advocates. And so Jesus Christ becomes our high priest as well. He's the sacrificed and the high priest so that we can enter the presence of God. And the beauty of this, with confidence. That's remarkable. This is the gospel which absolutely informs and grounds and centers our worship. The authors just summarize it in just a few sentences. The gospel, friends, frees us to worship God as we are. As those who are forgiven and washed in the blood of Jesus, right? The gospel reminds us, every, every Sunday we gather together, the gospel levels the playing field. It reminds us that we are all sinners, each and every one of us are those who desperately need a Savior. We cannot save ourselves. And so Jesus Christ is the one who has come, entered into this broken world, died on our behalf, and now we have this gift of salvation. Worship, therefore, is, is not performative, right? We, we, don't, we don't need to prove ourselves worthy. When we worship, when we, when we sing praises and, and we, we express ourselves in worship, that's, that's not about performing for God so that he'll receive our, no, we are his beloved children. At the same time, worship is not just reserved for the best of the best. Like, we need to get our things in order. We have to have everything figured out and, and, and before we can come. No, no, we can come in our brokenness, in our questions because God is our loving father who loves us and calls us his beloved children. And so worship is is a response to that reality. A bunch of broken people who come to God, a God who calls us his beloved children. And and what is our response when we are in the presence of almighty God as his children? It's it's a response of praise and gratitude and and adoration. And if we're questioning or or we're struggling right now, we can offer our lament and our questions and our doubts because he is our, our loving father, right? We can come to worship as we are. Reminds me of this, uh, this scene um, from a movie that came out, I can say this, last year, right? Uh, the Jesus Revolution, it, did anyone see that? Some, how many of, maybe I shouldn't ask you to raise your hand, but maybe some of you lived through this, right? Uh, Pastor Bill talks about how this is part of his story, right? Uh, but the, Jesus, revela- the Je- Jesus Revolution, which is the story of the, 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 the Jesus movement in the late 60s, early 70s, uh, where all of these, can I, can I say hippies? Is that, that's okay to say, right? Hippies, that's not like a disparaging term, right? So the, all these hippies were coming to Jesus in, in droves, right? And they were experiencing the love of Jesus Christ and they were coming. So they enter this church um, and, and on the other side of the aisle, uh, can I say squares? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know, like. Anyway, so the hippies call those who are straight-laced squares, right? So there's the hippies and the squares, and there's a scene in the movie where they're all at the church, and some of the the members of this church are complaining about the hippies who are coming, and they're not wearing shoes, right? And they're getting the carpet dirty, and so the pastor then is washing their feet as they come in, right? And then then during the service, the pastor gets up, and he says, hey, I understand that some of you maybe are not okay, but with with these people being here, and, and you're free to go if you want to. And there's a guy who gets up and he walks out the door. And he kind of turns back and another one of the squares, anyway, gets up with his wife. And you think he's going to leave, but instead he crosses the aisle. And he sits down with, with, with these young people, right? And all of a sudden it's this beautiful picture that what we do on Sunday mornings, worship, is, is, is not an exclusive club, it's a place where all are welcome to experience the goodness of God because what, what we share in common is far greater than, than the aisles that separate us. And there's a lot of aisles that separate us in our world today. But what we hold in common, this good news, this gospel that grounds us, is it makes this place a place where all belong. Amen. Amen. Now, as we, as we think about our confidence in the gospel Let's understand the center, the foundation of our worship. Let's consider what we hope worship leads us toward. Worship is a pathway that leads us to God. Our passage, there are three exhortations that begin with this phrase, let us. And we're going to cover each of those kind of verses that lead with let us. Uh, Not lettuce. I know that's confusing. Let us, not a salad. Okay, let us. And it's connect, confess, and community. The first one is connection. Connection. First, worship ultimately is a pathway, and it's a pathway, Sunday included, that leads us to connect with God. Hebrews continues, verse 22, let us draw near to God with sincere heart and with full assurance that faith brings. Again, the author of Hebrews is drawing from parallels uh, to Israelite worship, right, Think about this. Throughout the history of of God's people, Israel, worship almost always centered around a particular place. Right, with Moses, uh, they were at the the foot of Mount Sinai and and Moses would go up to the mountain. And so worship was at the mountain of the Lord, Mount Sinai. Uh, From there, they, they wandered through the wilderness and God gave them a design plan for the tabernacle. And so worship centered around the tabernacle the tabernacle was transportable, so the tabernacle would go where they would go, but worship was centered at the tabernacle. And then later, as as the capital is established in Jerusalem, a temple is built, and again, worship centered around the, te- the temple of the Lord. Worship centered around the place where the Lord dwelt and met with his people. Now, of course, you could pray, and you would pray, and they would establish synagogues, and there was worship in other places as well, But there was something about going to the temple, which is why three times a year, the people of God would pilgrimage to Jerusalem for various feasts, including Passover, right? And what we get in the the Gospels is Jesus participated in these different places of worship, whether that's the synagogue or traveling to Jerusalem to the temple to worship for Passover and other feasts. Worship was about being near the presence of God on earth. And the sacrificial system made that possible, along with priests, again, who acted as intermediaries. Jesus Christ replaces all of that, right? So we don't need to bring a sacrifice into worship. Instead, as Hebrews says, God just desires for us to bring a sincere heart of faith. Jesus replaces our need for mediation. He is our mediator, but what is not changed is that worship continues to be primarily about connecting with or drawing near to God. Worship is about connection with God. Certainly, worship is a response to God. Worship is active, it's participatory, we offer praise and honor and glory and thanks, but is, it is a response and an outpouring of hearts in the presence of God. And when we find ourselves in the presence of almighty and holy God, we can't help but be humbled and recognize that God is God and I am not. And so I offer the glory and honor and praise, God, that you deserve because of who you are. That is the response in the presence of God. And friends, when we gather for worship on Sunday mornings, our our hope and our prayer is that each of us would, would connect with God that we would have an encounter with Jesus Christ by the work of the Spirit. We cannot make that happen, right? As those who are planning worship, we we can't make that happen, right? But but our hope is that this time that we create a space for the Spirit to work. And so when we plan services and songs, like we are trying to create a space so that the Holy Spirit can work and, and usher us into the presence of God. And for us, that's that's far more important than than hitting every note of of our favorite song. That's far more important than getting the sermon just right. But for us to experience what many call a thin place, where that distance between heaven and earth is, is, is thin and close, and we experience a closeness and a love of Jesus Christ. Connection. Second, we hope and pray that worship is a space for confession, here, I don't so much mean as confession of sins, that although that is part of our worship, uh, but more our shared confessions, what we confess and believe to be the truth. Uh, the author of Hebrews continues in verse 23. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. Again, a lot kind of words kind of packed in there. Let's hold unswervingly. The the language of holding unswervingly literally means to to hold down or to hold tight, to seize, or to grasp. And what are we holding on to? What are we seizing onto? The hope. That is the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ that we profess or confess. The Greek here is the compound word homologia, right? Homo, which means same or together, and lego, which means to speak to a conclusion or lay to rest. Properly, it's a conclusion embraced by common confession. That's a mouthful. In other words, what are we saying? Let us hold fast to the hope found in what we confess together to be true, primarily the gospel. And so let's hold on to the truth that we believe, right, and we confess together as the community of faith. And so part of our worship, it centers around us, what, around what is true. That is the gospel. Our worship is, is intended to center us and ground us in what is true. Part of worship centers around what is most true and most important, and we would say that is the gospel. And this has been part of Christian history throughout, for the last 2,000 years. It's why the scriptures have been central to Christian worship for those 2,000 years. It's why uh, worship here, we we would say, one of our core values is that we are gospel-centered, that the truth of the gospel, the life, death, resurrection, return of Jesus Christ is central every Sunday, every time we gather. That is our focus. And, And I would add that it's why our worship is also scripturally saturated, though not one of our official value statements, right? It's scripturally saturated because every Sunday we gather and we study God's word and we use the gospel as our lens to interpret and understand all that God teaches us in his word. Words about teaching us how to live and how to love and right, it is central and we need to be grounded and centered on God's word and worship does that. And why is that so important? Well, you see, there's, there's plenty of other messages that come our way every day, every day. Plenty of other voices claiming to know and to speak into our lives what is true, claiming to have the answers and solutions to the, the greatest struggles and issues of our day. We got these little computers in our pockets, right, the, 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 also known as the iPhone or the Android or whatever phone of choice. But it is constantly inundating us with all kinds of messages from all kinds of different sources, and half the time, there's messages that we don't even want to receive, but they're coming our way. And all of these messages are claiming to offer hope and, and, and life and a future from advertisers who are, who are telling us that, that this product or this service will offer life for you, and it'll give you a better life. Or this this personality or celebrity or entrepreneur, they have the answers for our future. Or, Or this politician or policy or political party, they have the answer and the other doesn't. Or this innovation or this idea, message after message after message, this is the answer to all of our struggles. And friends, we need to regularly look to God's word Because found in these pages is the truth of the gospel and the gospel is the answer to our problems, amen? We gather regularly, we gather weekly to direct our hearts to hold fast to the hope we profess, the hope we have in the good news of Jesus Christ who is the answer to this problem of sin. And we need to gather weekly to be grounded and centered on what is more true than all these other answers that come our way that, that fall short, every single one. Jesus Christ, centered in the gospel, shared confession. And then finally, the last, the last of the three. Certainly, you can, you can make a case that the first two things that I just mentioned, connection, connection, and confession, remembering what we believe, can happen just about any space and place at any time all by ourselves, right? It's true. I can connect with Jesus um, in the quiet of my bedroom. I can connect with Jesus on the shores of Lake Michigan, though probably not in January. I go for J- July out in nature. Or I can center myself in God's word almost anywhere and. We, we have access to the scriptures and all kinds of resources that open God's word to us, and these are a gift, and we should take advantage of all of these opportunities. You know, you'd be right. And yet the author of Hebrews puts specific emphasis on the community of faith. Not only does, does the language, let us, using the first person plural, assume that we're doing these things together, but if that doesn't convince us, the book of Hebrews continues here in verse 24 and 25, and he writes these words. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Notice there's, there's three things that I highlighted there on the screen, and sandwiched in between is, is this emphasis of meeting together. The regular gathered assembly of God's people, we would say the church, right? There's something essential about meeting together. There's something powerful about worshiping together with other believers. Now, we all get it, like, Life is incredibly busy. It's filled with all kinds of commitments and reasons why we might not be able to gather every week and praise God that there's other ways to stay connected. Like those are all things that we can celebrate and praise God for. But there is some ancient wisdom here in the book of Hebrews that remains true today. One thing the last four years has taught us is that God has designed us to be in community and in connection with other human beings. And when we don't have that, when that's missing in our lives, we, we suffer, right? And the other two things, think about this, mentioned here, can't happen well apart from regularly meeting and being together and growing in community. The first one listed here, to spur, the, the, the Greek there literally means to poke or, or to prod, to irritate with something sharp. That's what the word means. So think of like a cattle prod, Right? To, to spur one another on, what? Not just to annoy them. Don't do that, okay? But to spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Like what a strange yet powerful image, like, like poking and prodding someone. Again, not to just get under their skin. Uh, we have young children. We know what that's like. But, uh, but, but, to, but to spur them on toward love and good deeds. Like come on, man. Like, come on! You you, you got to be loving people. You got to be serving people. You got to be using your time for others more. It's what you're doing. Like, it's a, it's a strange but powerful image. And then to kind of pa- balance out, kind of that hard word of challenge, is, is we have this other word of encouragement. And the word here speaks of, of walking closely, side by side with someone to remind them of God's work in their lives. But what both of those things share in common, those kinds of words, whether they're hard words of challenge or powerful words of of encouragement, they don't happen apart from a deep level of intimacy and trust. If you don't know someone from Adam, you can't be prodding them, right? You can't be challenging them. But over time, as trust and relationship is built, we can offer a tough word. Or we can truly come alongside someone and offer a word that is powerful and meaningful, right? These things don't happen well apart from meaningful community and connection. Worship in community strengthens the body of Christ. I think that's what we're saying here. And friends, that's why worship, more specifically, the weekly gathering of God's people is so critical to the growth and strengthening of Christ's church. It's also why church must be about something more than just the hour we sit in chairs or pews on a Sunday morning. If Sunday worship is simply about going to the the biggest and best worship experience so that we can just kind of sneak in and sneak out, then we're going to miss something crucial that God wants to accomplish during this time together. And that's why over the last couple of years we've been emphasizing community and connecting and, and sharing names and experiences and sharing life together. Because yes, Sunday is about praising Jesus. Yes, Sunday is about growing in knowledge and our love for Jesus, but it's also about investing in one another's lives. And when, I th- when I think about some of the most powerful worship experiences and, and, and when I close my eyes and imagine those moments that have meant the most to me, um, what I was reflecting on this week is, is that those experiences included those three things that we've just talked about, connection, confession, and community. One of those, one of those seas- it was really a season in my life um, that, was, that was so formational was my time as a student at, at Hope College, just down the road. And uh, at Hope College, um, there were a weekly gatherings called The Gathering on Sunday nights, as well as chapels uh, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. And, um, they were, and and again, I was a college student, so it's not like I had perfect attendance. Um, just full confession there. But when, but when I went and, and experienced it, what I experienced was worship and, and music and the sacrament in a way that I'd, I'd, I'd really never experienced before. And I felt this, this connection to God in a way that, that I had, I'd rarely ever experienced. Not only that, we would, we would sit for... Long messages, right? You think I go long, right? That was like an hour, you know, and, and we would sit and we would learn the scriptures uh, from the chaplains there. And I was learning uh, to, to continue to love the truth of God and, and have a craving and a longing to learn God's word, like these shared beliefs and confessions. That was part of it. And then honestly, it was, it was the people who I went to the gathering with many of whom are, are still dear friends to this day that we still get together, right? There was a community aspect at the gathering and at chapel that became so meaningful and powerful. All of these made for one of the richest seasons of communal worship in my life. And the importance of communal worship has continued uh, to be a, an important priority for me in, in my personal life and my journey, right? See, worship more specifically, the, the the weekly gathering of God's people has continued to be one of those rhythms that forms and shapes my spirit in critical and powerful ways. And so when I say, like, I'm, I'm glad to be back in these rhythms, I mean it. Because to be out of those rhythms is, I, I feel it in my heart and my soul. I reflect, uh, Jesus, in his ministry, again, it was marked by worship. The gospels testify over and over again that Jesus would regularly attend synagogue in various villages that they would visit and minister. Jesus and his disciples regularly pilgrimed to to Jerusalem to worship in the temple. And Jesus is the son of God. Certainly he could do it on his own. (laughs) And it's just this powerful reminder for me that worship centers and grounds me in Christ, in God's word and with God's people. And when I when I miss worship, I tell you, I can feel it in my soul. It's it's like um, maybe some of you had this experience uh, over the last couple of weeks. You took a break from your daily exercise routine or whatever, and all of a sudden you get back at it. I tried taking a jog again last week, and I was like, oh man, all those cookies and brownies, like you know, like you you feel it. Like there's an impact when you when you get out of those rhythms, and the same is true with these disciplines and worship it has an impact on other areas of my life you see for those of us who spend hours planning and preparing what it takes place what takes place on sunday morning sometimes we need to remind ourselves that what happens or how well that hour plays out it's it's all a means toward a greater end right having the perfect service that's not the point it's a means to a greater end. And, and honestly, for, for any of us, anyone who's been in this kind of position, God will remind us frequently of that reality, that it's really not, it's not about us or up to us. When, when, when we have a service, that, a worship service a Sunday morning, and, and we think it just didn't go well, and yet we'll hear testimony of the fruit that, that God did and produced in people's lives, or on the flip side, we'll, we'll, we'll do a service and we're like, man, revival's coming, baby, right? And then we don't hear anything, right? Because at the end of the day, it's, it's the spirit of God at work to bring about these encounters on Sunday morning. And similarly, worship is also not an end in and of itself. But worship is a practice that's part of the journey of life, a journey that God invites us to join, in our, in our vision statement that's on the windows, we, we say uh, that, that we, we, we say it this way: a life of being found and formed by and following Jesus. Worship is part of the practices, part of the, the disciplines and training that prepares us for a life of loving and serving God and serving people in our lives that God calls us to love. It's the training. It's, it's, it's the reminder. It's the work. It's, it's part of that, right? And in that way, all of life then becomes an expression of worship to the Lord. What we do on Sundays, our prayer is that that prepares us for the rest of the week. And then the rest of the week becomes a reflection of what we do on Sundays. Or as Paul writes in Romans 12, offer your bodies as, as living sacrifice. This is your spiritual act of worship, right? Our lives become worship. Paul writes these words to the Colossians, uh, and and I'm just going to speak them over us as we close our time this morning. Colossians 3, verses 15 through 17. He writes this Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you are called to peace, and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Sounds like a worship service, right? And whatever you do, the rest of the week, whether word or deed, do it all, everything we do, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. It's an act of worship. Friends, we worship. God moves. We live and we worship. Let's pray and ask the Spirit to continue that work in our lives. Will you join me? Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you. We thank you for this space and this time and this rhythm. Lord, we thank you that that as we we gather together, as we participate, as we we offer our hearts in praise and adoration and thanksgiving, Lord, as, as we pray together in one heart, as we hear and listen and study and consider what your spirit is saying through your word, reminding us of the core of what we believe, the good news of Jesus Christ. And even, Lord, as we connect after the service over some donuts and coffee and good conversation, Lord, may this time continue to form and shape us in ways that spill over into the rest of the week. Lord, may you continue to strengthen us and draw us together and toward you, not just this morning, not just on Sundays, but throughout the week. Come, Lord Jesus, we pray. In Christ's name. Thank you for listening. To learn how to get involved in our fusion community or how to support Heart of Wike Ministries, please visit us at heartawike.com.